0: Hey everyone, great to have you join us for the Campbell Church
1: Podcast. This is Jeff. And I am Ruth. We are excited for you to hear a new series from Sean Smith called The Pursuit.
0: Pursuit? Sounds like some action movie or something. What's it about?
1: Well, Jeff, it's a story of a man who runs away from his calling, but the truth is, it could be any of us.
0: Uh, Does this man have a name?
1: Yeah, his name is Jeff. (laughs) Nah, I'm just kidding. This is the rad story of Jonah. Isn't that the guy who gets swallowed by a big old fish? (laughs) Yeah, that's right. But his story is so much more than that part.
0: Well, I'm excited to hear more.
1: Me too. Here's Sean.
0: Hey, this morning we're kicking off a brand new sermon series entitled The Pursuit. This series is based on a story that some people find a little fishy, not simply because there is a fish in the story, but because like most fish stories, it's hard to believe that this actually happened. That's the thing about fish stories. They tend to be far more fiction than fact, right? I mean, by the time the story is told the eight ounce bluegill that jumped off the line, it's now an eight pound bass. The catch of three is now a stringer full of fish. We love to embellish fish stories, just like we love to embellish stories about past junior high athletic accomplishments. And I, for one, who happened to score 70 points in a junior high basketball game, or maybe it was seven, I'm not advocating for strict accuracy when it comes to the retelling of these types of stories. I'm perfectly fine with whopper tales being told. However, at the outset of this sermon series, I want you to know that I believe this particular fish story is 100% true. Now there are several reasons for this, but none greater than this. On one occasion when Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, he referred to Jonah spending three days and three nights in the belly of a fish as historical fact. Now I happen to believe that the God who has always been would know for a fact whether a story was true or whether or not it was just a tall tale being told. However, if you still have a hard time believing this could actually happen, I get it. There is no human explanation for how Jonah survived. The very best explanation I can offer you is this, it was a God thing. And really that's who this story is about. Yes, there is a fish in the story, but it's not a fish story. It's a God story. It's a story that puts God's power on full display. Woven throughout this story is evidence of God's power and his sovereignty, but that's not all. In this story, we also see God's compassion for humanity is just as awe-inspiring as his power. And if anybody knew about the compassion of God, it was a prophet in Israel by the name of Jonah. Who is Jonah? Jonah was a contemporary of Amos and Hosea, who prophesied during the time of King Jeroboam II. Now, here's what you need to know about King Jeroboam II. He was a bad, bad man. Rather than trying to turn the people of Israel back towards God, he decided to follow in the footsteps of his wicked father and leading the people of Israel to continue to practice, practice all different types of evil. If God would have made the decision to pour out his wrath on Israel at this particular time, it would have been perfectly justified. But instead, God didn't do that. What God decided to do instead was to bless the northern kingdom of Israel, to allow them to enjoy a time of peace and prosperity. And guess who was one of the first people to know that God was going to be gracious rather than punitive towards Israel? It wasn't Hosea, and it wasn't Amos. God called Jonah to deliver the good news to Israel that this was going to be a time in which Israel's boundaries was restored. Listen to the words that we read in 2 Kings chapter 14, beginning in verse 23. In the 15th year of Amaziah, son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel, became king in Samaria, and he reigned 41 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn away from any of the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to commit. He was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Lebo Hamath to the Dead Sea, in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath-Hefer. This was a great job assignment for Jonah. I mean, think about it. Most prophets who were commissioned by God were sent to preach a message of gloom and doom, of fire and brimstone, but not Jonah. Instead, God called Jonah to deliver a message of what? Ongoing security and success. and Prosperity. Jonah was all about preaching this message he was faithful to this message now what happens when a person is faithful and successful in the job that they've been given to do well you know what happens they're given a new or different job assignment And that's really where this story begins God came back to Jonah and he said okay I've got a new assignment for you I, I want you to go to a different city I want you to preach a new message I, I want you to go to to Nineveh now For those of you who may not know, Nineveh was a major city in Assyria. Here's what you need to know about Assyria. Assyria was a notoriously wicked and cruel empire. Assyria, it makes North Korea look like a Boy Scout troop. All of the surrounding nations next to Assyria, they feared and despised that nation. So for Jonah to go into that territory, it was incredibly risky. There are a lot of different reasons for this. One of the reasons is he was marching right into enemy territory. But the second reason was this. Preaching to Nineveh was not going to be well received by his own people in Israel. Then the third reason, what if these people not only listened, but they responded to his message? What if God poured out his unbelievable grace and compassion on the people of Nineveh? Wouldn't Jonah be playing the role of a traitor? I mean, after all, Hosea had already foretold that a day was coming when Israel would fall into the hands of this evil empire. We read these words in Hosea chapter 9 and verse 1 through 3. Do not rejoice, Israel. Do not be jubilant like the other nations. For you have been unfaithful to your God. You love the wages of a prostitute at every threshing floor. Threshing floors and wine presses will not feed the people. The new wine will fail them. They will not remain in the Lord's land. Ephraim will return to Egypt and eat unclean food in Assyria. This was a bad job assignment. It couldn't get much worse than this. And so, what did Jonah do? He ran. He ran as hard and fast as he possibly could in the opposite direction. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Where was Tarshish? We don't exactly know. What we do know is this. It was widely believed to be the westernmost port city in Spain. To flee to Tarshish, in the words of one scholar, was like running to the ends of the earth. Now, did Jonah actually believe that he would be outside the presence of God in this distant land? I find that hard to believe this prophet of God. Surely he knew that no truer words had ever been written about the presence of God than the words that we read in Psalm chapter 139 and verse seven and eight. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. Surely Jonah knew God was present everywhere always, even in Tarshish. So why go there? Tarshish was a place to go to silence the voice of God. By fleeing to that city and immersing himself in the culture, Jonah stood the best chance of forgetting about this God who had placed a call upon his life. And isn't this the same game that many of us play? We hear the, the call of God every time we open up the word of God. We hear the call of God to share our faith, to love the least of these, to live a holy life, and to be hospitable, to sacrifice. And too often we run, or at least I do, especially when the Holy Spirit is pressing me. He's he's pushing me to do something that I'm not comfortable doing. He's moving me to do something I would consider to be very, very risky. Where do we run to? Well, some of us make the decision to run as far away from our faith as we possibly can. We, we run away from our, our family. We run away from our church. We run away from our believing friends. Others of us, we, we simply run to, to movies or we run to, to books. We run to video games. We run to social media. We run to a career. We run to a hobby. Any place that we can just kind of drown out the voice of God. So here's the important question this morning. Has God placed a call on your life? If so, what is it? Now, how are you going to respond to that call? Are you going to continue to run? Are you going to stay so busy that you don't have to think about it? Or are you going to finally listen and respond Now, notice, instead of saying, good riddance, Jonah, I didn't really need your help in the first place, which is exactly what I would have done, except in a far more sarcastic and angry tone, God made the decision to go after him. We continue the story in verse 4, then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. My initial response to this text is, good for you, God go get that disobedient prophet teach him a lesson that he'll never forget he needs a good taste of your wrath right now but is this really an act of god's wrath is god really acting out of anger i don't think so i believe that god really is acting out of compassion he loved jonah too much to allow him to run away from his presence This storm wasn't about God trying to kill Jonah, which is exactly what Jonah believed initially, but really this storm was about God trying to keep Jonah from killing himself. You say, what do you mean? Well, this is what I mean. There is no life outside of the presence of God. In fact, do you know what you call being outside of the presence of God? It's called hell. Jonah believed that he was fleeing towards Tarshish. What God knew is he was actually running straight for hell god loved jonah far too much not to chase him down he loves you far too much not to do the same and that means there are going to be moments when god stirs up a storm in your life now let me just say this very quickly when a storm strikes the life of another person a tragedy takes place it's really irresponsible it's pompous it's just not right of us to say well if that person was living right, it wouldn't happen to him or her. It's arrogant of us to say, obviously, God's trying to get that person's attention and trying to convince them to turn around. Listen, if God stirred up a storm every time you or I was disobedient, most of us would live most of our life in a funnel cloud. We're in no position to judge the storms that other people go through. But when we find ourselves in the midst of a storm, one of the most important questions that we can ask in that moment is simply this, is God trying to teach me a lesson? Is there some area of my life that's out of line with the will of God? Is God trying to get my attention at this particular moment? Like nobody enjoys being in a storm that threatens to completely wreck their life But God loves us way too much to allow us to sink our lives for the rest of eternity. And oftentimes when we go through a storm, we view it as punishment. Maybe that's the way some of us have viewed 2020. We we, we wonder what's God doing? Is he punishing us for something that we've done wrong? I want to encourage you to maybe change your thinking just a little bit. Instead, view it this way. This very well may be an act of God's great love and compassion. Now, please don't miss this. It may seem like that your decision to run from or ignore God's call on your life is not impacting anyone else other than you, but that's just not true. Think about it. Who was impacted by Jonah's decision to flee towards Tarshish? Well, obviously it put the people in Nineveh at risk. If they didn't change the way that they were living, they were going to experience the full power of God's wrath being poured out on their lives. And yet, how are they supposed to know to repent unless Jonah delivered this message to them? By making the decision to flee, Jonah left the people of Nineveh without a fighting chance. And oftentimes, this is what we do to people when we ignore God's call on our life. We leave them at risk of missing out on the opportunity to experience God's care in their life, or perhaps we even leave them facing God's judgment totally unprepared. Well, was there anybody else that was affected by Jonah's decision to run in the opposite direction? Jonah chapter 1 verse 4 and 5. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid. When we choose to run from God, those that have nothing to do with our decision, they often find themselves caught in the eye of the storm. For instance, Jonah put at risk a bunch of hardworking pagan sailors. Now, who do we often put at risk when we make a decision to ignore God's call in our life? Oftentimes it's the people that we care most about. It's our kids, it's our spouse. It's our parents, it's good, a good friend, or maybe it's church members. There's always somebody who's impacted when we make the decision to ignore God. And I don't say that to shame us. I simply point that out so that we might understand the reality that when God deems it necessary to send a storm to get our attention, rarely does it rain down on us alone. Now, notice in this story, there are two extreme examples of how to respond to a God-ordained storm in your life. On one side of the extreme are these sailors who in some regards decided they were going to do their very best to handle this storm on their own, to, to fight their way through it. And so initially, what did they do? They took all the cargo on the ship, they threw it overboard to lighten the load. And then later in the story, we find them making the decision that they're just going to row as hard as they possibly can to try to make it all the way out of the storm. Oftentimes, this is the way that we respond when we're going through these these storms in our life, right? We cling to this belief that, that somehow we can still control the outcome. And so we try really hard to to control it, to survive it on our own. (laughs) We do everything we possibly can. We tell ourselves if we just try hard enough, everything's going to turn out just fine. But what this story reminds us of is that when God sends a storm to get our attention, we have zero control over the outcome. We continue the story in verse 13. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land. But they could not, for the sea grew wilder than before. Now on the other end of the extreme is Jonah, who acted like or behaved like there was no storm going on whatsoever. We read this about Jonah in verse 5. All the sailors were afraid, and each one cried out to his own God, and they threw cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. What does that remind you of? Reminds me of Jesus. Remember on one particular occasion, Jesus slept through a storm. Now, yes, both of these guys were sound sleepers, but that's where the similarity ends. Jesus slept because he realized that he was not in danger. He had power over waves. He had power over the sea. Did did Jonah have that power? Of course not. Then, then how did he sleep? Here's my theory. Either he was in complete denial and denial about his situation, or he had decided that his situation was already hopeless. Either way, Jonah made the decision to climb into bed, pull the covers over his head, and just wait for what was going to happen. And it's the same naive, uh, fatalistic attitude that many of us adopt when we're going through storms in life. We decide there's nothing that can be done, and so we pull the covers over our head, or we just become hopeless. You say, what does it matter? You've already shared with us that we have zero control over the outcome of the storm. Yes, that's, that's true. We don't have any control, but there's still something that we can do. There's still something that we must do. You say, what is that? We must cry out to God for his mercy. This is the only appropriate response now take note of this it's kind of surprising to me in this story it's not a prophet of god but it's actually a bunch of pagan sailors who modeled this truth for us and it's just a reminder to me that oftentimes god can work through people who do not know him do not worship him who do not serve him who can teach us important spiritual lessons And the lesson that they teach us in this story is one of the most important lessons that you or I could ever learn. Jonah, chapter 1, verse 5 through 7. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Write this down. The best way to survive a God-ordained storm in your life is not to pull the covers over your head. It's not to try as hard as you possibly can to row towards safety. The best decision you can possibly make is to cry out for a gracious, merciful, compassionate God to intercede on your behalf. Now, evidently, Jonah believed it was too late. Because he didn't cry out to God. Instead, he resolved himself to die. But I want you to notice that the death he resolved himself to die was actually heroic. We continue the story in verse 7. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do To you, to make the sea calm down for us. Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon me. With his decision to run from God, Jonah put a lot of innocent people in harm's way. But in the end, Jonah was willing to sacrifice his life for the life of others with a testimony to the one true living god on his lips there are a couple of truths that i hope that you'll, re- you'll remember that comes out of this portion of the story one is simply this it is never too late to act heroically for the glory of god even if you have spent the majority of your life running away from god the second thing that i hope you will remember is simply this is that god often uses the testimony and the sacrifice of the flawed and the failed. That describes all of us to bring about good. Listen to how this part of the story concludes. Verse 15 and 16. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. What type of vows did these sailors make? many scholars believe that they made a vow that they would share with people their experience with the one true living God on the sea. The God who not only has the power to control the sea, but also has a tremendous amount of compassion for humanity. Now, if God could use the life of a cowardly, disobedient prophet to turn pagan sailors into spokesmen for him, can you imagine what he might do through you If you make the decision to act heroically for him, whatever he chooses to do, I'm guessing it will be a whale of a story. This morning, you may find yourself in the midst of a storm right now. We want you to know that we wanna be in the storm with you. We wanna cry out to the God of mercy to bless your life. If you have a specific prayer request this morning, we encourage you to send it our way today, either online at this time or send an email to us this week, and please know that we will be praying for you. And may God bless you as you go into this week prepared to do something heroic for the glory of God. May God bless you with a great week. Woo, that was awesome. God loved Jonah too much not to chase him down. And to think, Ruth, he still does the same for us.
1: Yeah, I love how Sean showed us that sometimes God puts a storm in our lives to get us to turn around. That's crazy. We think it might be punishment when it's actually God's gracious compassion.
0: Well, I think the, uh, the story is it's never too late to act on God's call in our lives. No matter how long or far we run, God is right there waiting.
1: You are right, Jeff. And if that's you, we'd love to hear from you and pray with you. Email us at podcasts at or hit that message button. We'd love to listen and walk with you. And don't forget to see us on Instagram and
0: Facebook. Just search for Campbell Church of Christ. We'll see you online and for our next podcast. God bless.